1: This episode of the Bearstalk Underground is brought to you by Sports Drink, your digital water cooler. Sports Drink is a newly created internet community that tries to find the intersection of sports and not sports. They're here to help us grow and to hate your favorite team. A rising tide lifts all boats, so go check them out online or in social. Go to sportsdrink.org or open Instagram and type in Sports Drink, spelled like Sports Drink but without the vowels, so... S P R T S D R N K. All we ask is that you close the door behind you. We're trying not to let out the funk. What's up guys back for our second team in the NFC East this time, the newly named Washington commanders uh, who were defending NFC East champions coming out of the 2020 season. They, uh you know had a losing record but they were the ones that were standing the last man standing in the NFC East to make a playoff run and uh you know they were the team that that seemingly were the only ones that gave Tampa Bay a, a game in their playoff run on, on the, to the Super Bowl in 2020 they, and they seemed poised to do it again in, in 2021 a lot of high hopes going into the year and unfortunately it didn't work out they got off to another slow start they had another like mid-season run there uh got themselves to 500 after like a two and five start but uh, you know the slow they they kind of fell apart there at the end had this weird schedule where they had five straight division games at the end of the uh the season and whatnot and uh you know things just did not go well uh for that team and um here we are in 2022 uh looking to uh manage they trade for Carson Wentz and uh uh, you know, it, unfortunately, this happened yesterday after uh, I spoke to Brian, but uh, they just re-signed uh, Terry McLaren, and, you know, we talked about him and his future uh, with the team uh, before they, you know, officially signed the extension uh, and whatnot, so that's why we don't mention it during our talk. But, and this is also a division, as I'm sure you, you've heard us talk about with the Giants, you hear us talk about here, uh, and I've already spoken with the Eagles and the Cowboys. Everybody mentions the fact that, Nobody repeats as division champion in this division, so it's wide open. Never mind the fact that the Cowboys won last year, and on paper they're still the best team. In the past 16 years, that hasn't mattered. 17, 18 years. 04 was the last time that the Eagles went back-to-back in 03 and 04. So it's been almost 20 years since somebody won a back-to-back division, which means the NFC East is anybody's division to claim going into 2022, or at least history dictates everybody's got a shot to win this thing. So uh, we had a lot of fun talking to our guest. Uh, he told me to call him Brian, but he goes by Mr. Who on uh, on Twitter and, and such, and uh, that's the handle that he has. He's from the uh, Washington Commanders Declassified uh, podcast, and I had a blast talking to him. So let's go ahead and and, and make it happen. This is the uh, Washington Commanders preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. Hey, look at that. As we make our journey through the NFC East, our second stop uh, through our through the division uh, leads us to uh, to DC or Virginia or Maryland, wherever the hell the Commanders are playing these days. And uh, here to help us out with the uh, with pre- uh, previewing the twenty twenty two Command. That's going to take some getting used to the Commanders thing. But uh, yeah. Mr. Wu, Mr. Wu, how we doing, man? Hey, pretty good, pretty good, and I, I won't, I won't make you call me, Mister Wu. You can
0: just give me, uh, you can just call me Brian.
1: Brian. All right, cool. That's just that was your your handle. That's the name of your show. So <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, hey, Mister Wu. All right, cool. Yeah, uh, you know, like I, 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 my my Raiders guy is his name is your boy Q. So, (laughs) you know, he allows me to call him Q, but his handle is your boy Q. So I, uh, Uh, very nice. Yeah. So I was like, why not? You know, it's what you want to call I call you that. No problem. So, uh, welcome, welcome to the show. Thanks so much uh, for, for joining us. And, um, uh, real quick tidbits, uh, before we get started, um, as you know, your, your head coach, Ron Rivera, uh, was a Chicago bear famously on the 85 team and played for the bears several years. I've actually met him. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it was kind of a chance. How was it? It was it was a chance encounter. Um, I wanted to freak out because there was an 85 bear standing in front of me. Right, uh, right. But it just so turns out that I was working at the time uh, when I was working as a, uh, a ride attendant at Six Flags Great America in the Chicagoland area. Oh, very nice. Uh, he, his wife, and his son were coming on my ride, which was the Yankee Clipper. It's a flume ride, a water ride right right and right. Uh, I was the person that decided how many people okay you two in this boat you two in that one you know that kind of thing and I yep. gave Ron Rivera and his wife their own boat so oh very nice very like, nice Ron Rivera how about that <laughs> so it's, so nice to meet you as it's you know 96 degrees in the middle of July here you know <laughs> you, you stood in line it's like dude if I had known you were out there there's no way you're standing in line all this time so but right. uh, anyway yeah so I got to meet him real quick and uh, gave him his own boat and he thanked me on the way out, which was cool. So, um, yeah, so then I met Chico Rivera. It was pretty cool. Um,
0: the, anybody who I've talked to who's met Ron Rivera have all said really glowing, very nice things about him that he's personable. He's nice. He's not arrogant or anything like that. Just down to earth. Uh, you know, just, uh, just a real person. So, uh, that, that fits with uh, all the other stories I've heard about him and that's, that's pretty cool.
1: Yeah, that was, this was back in summer of 98, so I think it was even before he started coaching, uh, yeah, or at least yeah. coaching at the NFL level. I don't know what he did before uh, he started coaching with Lovey uh, with the Bears, but, um, yeah, was not the happiest guy in the world when we let Ron go, um, let him off to <laughs> San Diego, and, you know, he's been on that journey ever since. Absolutely. Uh, but, um, you know, he was uh, definitely one of my favorite assistants with, uh, during the Lovey Smith uh, era, he was uh, he was our DC in 06 when we went to the Super Bowl. So um, wow. hated to see him go. But um, let's talk about your commanders first thoughts on the name. And also because I'm a uniform snob, the uniforms. How are we feeling about the change?
0: So the the name, you know, at the very beginning, uh, you know, I I, ne- I wasn't necessarily a fan of it, but I was happy to have a name, right? right? The football team is not a name. It's a designation. It is like, oh, hey, pasta, right? You know, it's not uh, it's it doesn't tell you who you are or it doesn't give you an identity. Um so when we got Commanders, yeah, Commanders does sound a little cheesy. But it's a name. It's something that you can root for. It's something that you can get behind. So it's grown on me. Uh, I'm happy that we've got it now um, as opposed to just football team. You know, uh, everybody would always make the same dad joke. Hey, you're the football team. You know that that kind of got old after, uh, you know, uh, 10 minutes. So good now with the commanders. And I was very, very impressed with the uniforms. I was really, that was kind of my big thing. Okay, what are the uniforms going to look like? And uh, the helmet is probably one of my favorite. It is a matte color with the W on the side and strike down the middle. And it just looks really, really cool. So I am digging these uniforms. Now, we've only seen them kind of on, um, you know, the players in like a promotional, you know, type photo shoot, right? There hasn't been any games or anything.
2: So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. Like that. So I'm excited to see what it looks like in in game action, but
0: uh, from everything that we've seen the uniforms—they look up to date. They look good, so I'm excited for that portion. I think uh, I think when it came to the look of them, I think they they knocked that out of the park. Which we don't we don't knock too many things out of the park here in D.C. But uh, I think the I think the uniforms uh, we did a good job on.
1: Well, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm a self-professed a uh, uniform uh, snob, and um, I was like the I, the only correction I had for the helmet was I wish they would have stuck with the gold slash yellow face mask I, I'm not a fan yeah. of the red on red uh, but I, I love the the simplicity of the logo just the just the one yellow stripe the you know yep. the, the matte coloring and things like that I did like that the the uniforms were a mixed bag I'm not a fan of the black ones not a fan of the the black ones it just doesn't do it uh, for yeah me. I, w- I will
0: say the black ones almost look kind of Steeler-like, um, yeah, and yeah. Uh, I'm I'm hoping when I see them on an actual player in a game, it'll look different. Um, but that's probably my only knock on the uniforms is that black one does kind of look like Steelers, and I'm not a big Steelers uh, person in general. So, uh, yeah, uh, I, I hope that changes when I actually see it in a game, but uh, I think otherwise uh, they're not too bad.
1: I have a sneaking suspicion that we might see that week six on Thursday night football when the Bears and the I keep wanting to call them the skins for the I'm 44 I've been calling the Redskins the first 40, 40 42 years right. of my life yeah. but that, no, uh, I mean
0: we're, we're all struggling with it, it yeah uh, it'll certainly take
1: some time absolutely when when the Bears and the commanders play on Thursday night you know Thursday nights uh, you know got that that uniform written all over it you know
0: I, I think so. I think they're they're probably looking to release the the black uniform for uh, a primetime game. I want to say later in the season, Minnesota. Um, you know, Kirk Cousins will be coming back. I think that's oh, a boy. night game think that may be the blackout game that they're looking for um so yeah i think you're right though i think they're going to save that black one for a uh, prime time uh type game so thursday night that uh, certainly could be a target for it as well
1: all right so real quick before we dive into the 2021 recap here real quick um i like to ask the same three questions of uh, our new guests and um those three questions are where are you from where are you now and your favorite moment as a fan of the Redskins football team slash commanders.
0: Yeah, so I'm from, uh, you know, what we here in the Mid-Atlantic call the DMV. So that's uh, the District of Columbia, Maryland, Virginia, in particular. I'm from the Maryland area. Mm -hmm. Uh, Still uh, in the the Maryland area here uh, as well. And I I would probably say my – I wouldn't – I wouldn't say it's my favorite memory, but it, it's one I remember uh, the most and is, you know, very meaningful. Um, and why I say it's not my favorite is because it was the, the game after Sean Taylor's death. Uh, mm-hmm. Sean Taylor, who, you know, we had drafted and uh, was ascending player to, uh, you know, what all of us fans thought was going to be, you know, one of the better players uh, of all time, you know his life was cut short. So that particular game after was pretty meaningful and memorable, and something you know I'll always remember. So sure. that's kind of like my
1: my first one that uh, just really really kind of stuck with me. Sure, yeah, it was a tragic thing that 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 happened to him and uh, the way that it happened too. Um, yeah, the guy absolutely. was just protecting his house from you know some scumbag who broke in and and uh, exactly. You know, exactly. shot, shot in the leg, you don't really usually hear that's a fatal thing. But if you get hit in the right spot where that main main, main artery is, that's, uh, exactly tends to be it's, all she wrote. So that was, yeah. that, that was too bad when that happened. I, I remember the, uh, the opening play, which I believe it was Joe Gibbs. It wasn't thrilled about, but they, you know, left his position open on the field. And uh, the team you were playing got like a, a decent play. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So they, they, um, uh, Greg Williams at the time, who was the defensive coordinator, went uh, with just ten guys on the field. You know, as a, uh, as a, as a little bit of a tribute. And, right. You know, Greg Williams has always been kind of a, uh, I'm gonna make my own rules and you know make my own decisions type of uh, things. And I think he kind of let that one kept that one to himself as opposed to uh, letting Gibbs know that uh, he was going to uh, to do that. So yeah, uh, that uh, they did, uh, they did do that to start uh, uh, that very first play. I, you know I think everybody kind of appreciated it but yeah I think I do remember that I think they got a, a decent play out
1: of it right because I think they ran right at the spot where where sean would have been and that and exactly there was a giant <laughs> hole right there unfortunately so <laughs> right right so, so um, let's talk about this 2021 uh season because it was one of high hopes oh, for the absolutely. for for you guys and uh you know after 2020 it's like granted, not the greatest record, you know, winning the division, but won the division nonetheless. And actually, in my opinion, uh, on their playoff run, gave the Buccaneers their toughest contest of the playoffs because they, they smoked right by the Saints in the second round. And they beat the the Packers, thank God, in the NFC Championship game and then made mincemeat of Kansas City in the Super Bowl. And the only team that really gave them a game was Washington in that wild card round.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So coming off of that 2020 season, um, you know, there there were certainly high, high hopes. The defense had played really well. And uh, yeah, just like you said, we gave uh, the Buccaneers in that uh, wild card game everything that they uh, they could handle. Now, you know, they 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 still uh, won with um, you know somewhat of a, a decent margin. So heading into 2021, I mean the expectations were high, especially for our defensive line. We've got four first-round picks on the defensive line. That was expected to be the kind of heartbeat of the team, the strength of the team, mm-hmm. and it really kind of went south right from game one. So you know, one thing that uh, you know most people don't know, uh, you know, unless you're following the team, um, the Commanders did make a big push to uh, trade for matthew stafford uh before that 2021 season but obviously he went with the rams and you know our fallback plan um you know and i don't know why this was the fallback plan but uh it was um uh ryan fitzpatrick Mm -hmm. and uh you know he lasted a quarter and hurt his hip um, and yeah. it was gone and immediately we were on the backup quarterback Taylor heineke undrafted free agent you know hero of that uh, that playoff game uh, the year before so um, you know uh, Taylor was a great story you know uh, very nice guy uh, but he's an undrafted free agent uh, quarterback so he is limited uh, physically it, it showed throughout the course of the season in various games he just didn't really kind of have the arm talent to make all the the throws so the offense was limited and uh, you know it was a really kind of underwhelming season with the offense being bad uh the defense which uh, we thought was going to be carried by that defensive line really uh wasn't they struggled mightily uh chase young got it. uh Injured uh, ACL, Montez Sweat uh, was in and out of the the lineup with COVID, broken jaw, had some personal uh, issues. He had a brother who passed away during the season, so um, you know a lot of kind of turmoil uh, was happening with that defensive line. Jonathan Allen, um, our defensive tackle, he actually had an excellent year, made his first Pro Bowl, had nine sacks. I mean, it was just a, a dominant force on that defensive line. But uh, really, the other guys kind of had a, a, a rough go of it. So. Uh, very underwhelming and uh, that kind of you know continued throughout the season they did have a um, you know a a patch there where they were able to kind of turn it around and went on a four-game winning streak to kind of um, you know get themselves into playoff contention Mm -hmm. but towards the end of the year with COVID guys missing time uh, the team had to sign a lot of you know guys off the street off practice squads and um, you know having a schedule that puts five division games right at uh, the end of the year, you know, Eagles, Cowboys, Giants. Uh, it was very much a gauntlet, uh, and especially with the Cowboys and Eagles who, you know, were vying for playoff, um, you know, seeding and things like that. Uh, season got away uh, very quickly from uh, from the commanders, or yeah. the football team at that time, I should say. Because,
1: uh, you know, the first four games, uh, you, you lose a tight one to the Chargers. In a game that I, I feel like you were winning until Fitzpatrick... Uh, went down, or you know, like Heineke comes in and he's that one throw to 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 McLaren, um, yeah, where it's like, I remember like seeing memes all over the place, like this the 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 frame just before he catches the ball. There are like three defenders. He's he's got a space of about a quarter of an inch to get that ball in there, and then the like the meme was he caught this. You know, it was like the the frame just before It's like, there's no way that's getting through. The defender's knocking it down. Uh, you know, McLaren's falling to the ground. There's no way he's going to catch it, but somehow uh, he does. It was like the one memorable mo- moment from that uh, game. But you fall just short, twenty to sixteen. Then you have the the last minute come from behind win over the Giants on Thursday night. It's always fun to get that first Thursday night game exactly. on uh, yeah. on uh, week two uh, and everything. Then uh, you know lose to Buffalo on the road, and then a win over the Falcons, and then from there on out, it's all in fours because you had four losses in a row after that. <laughs> uh, the Saints, the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Broncos. You have a bye week, and then you go on a four-game winning streak, including beating the defending world champions, it, and it was an impressive win as well. Like yes, for for, uh, for a for a team in the Buccaneers who had pretty much were, looked like they were on their way back to at least another deep. Playoff run that we're having no problem whatsoever scoring points. The Commanders uh shut them down, you know, absolutely shut them down twenty nine to nineteen uh, to win that game, and everyone's like, "Okay, well, here's what we were looking for when we came yeah. into the season with this defensive performance."
0: Yeah, and I think that that beating the Bucks um, this past season, I, I think, really kind of showed, hey, the talent is here. For whatever reason, it, it, we're not seeing it on a consistent basis. We're not seeing it on a week-to-week basis. Is it because we just don't have the quarterback? Is it because uh, you know the defense isn't necessarily playing together? But in that game, that was coming off a bye week um, before we played the Buccaneers. And Rivera had really gone to his um, defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, and offensive coordinator, uh, Scott Turner, and said, hey, We need to get back to uh, basics, essentially. Um, We need to put, you know, some, we got to stop the run. We got to put some more pressure on the quarterback on defense. And um, on offense, we've got to back up quarterback. We can't ask him to throw the ball 40 times a game, run the football and they kind of followed that mindset for you know the next four games and it worked and they were able to win they were able to dominate you know in that four game win streak Washington was able to dominate time of possession I mean it was almost a two to one that they were controlling the ball um uh you know and keeping uh, their defense off the field which uh you know for a Bad or underperforming defense—that was a, a really key thing to uh, to help that uh, win those four games there. Um, so it, it, yeah, it, you you really saw the ability, the potential that this team has, and it just kind of made you scratch your head, like, well, why couldn't we get that all, um, you know, all season? You know, is it is it just because we needed the upgraded quarterback? Was there something else happening there? So yeah, uh, great great game, uh, great win against the the Bucks, but unfortunately, it was, it was only the handful of times that we got to see that type of win.
1: Yeah, I mean, but with the the win over Tampa, then you beat Carolina, you, you um, beat Seattle on Monday Night Football, and then go on the road to beat the Raiders. So in that four game stretch, you beat two playoff teams, and you're six and six uh, there. And everyone's thinking, okay, well, here come, here comes Washington again. They did the same thing last year. They were one and five at one point, and ended up going on this run at the end of the season to win a division and make a uh, make a run at the uh, playoffs. But then, like like you mentioned before, this weird scheduling thing that the NFL did where they had five straight NFC East games to close out the year now, I've seen plenty of schedules where in the last eight games, you'll see four or five division games, but they aren't yep. all in a row at the yeah. end of the season. There's like, I know Goodell likes to finish out with like at least one or two division games at the end of the year, but five straight, including a four-game stretch here where it was Dallas-Philly-Dallas-Philly Dallas, Philly, before you finished with the Giants at the end of the year. And, you know, you had the four-game 4, lo- four game losing streak to in, in the two matchups apiece to Dallas and Philly, and then uh, were able to beat up on a Giants team that was literally phoning it in that last week of the season.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. That Giants team, they called. Uh, I can't remember. It was a two kneel downs uh, there um, on like uh, third down and second down. I mean, it was uh, they, they they inside they really, their own
1: five yard line too. Yeah,
0: it it, it was bad, and especially um, you know the, their head coach who had uh, you know tried to make fun of the the football team of the Commanders uh, during the uh, the week uh, at his press conference for for them to put out that uh, output. I, I thought was comical and fitting for how the Giants ended their season but you know to the back to the commanders to the football team um yeah the that was a rough stretch to end the year so i mean by that point we had chase young and montez sweat our our two big athletic fast defensive ends were gone um and the the defense really you know at that point had been ravaged by covid so i mean all of our starters were in and out of the lineup we were going through um you know, guys who were on practice squads, guys who were just, you know, um, out on the street that we were signing. Uh, one of those games, we started Garrett Gilbert at quarterback because Heineke got COVID and he was out. Um, so we got a guy, Garrett Gilbert, who was off um, New England's practice squad, and he started a game. And for whatever reason, we made him throw the ball thirty times, and the Eagles, you know, blew us out that game. So wow. um, it was it was pretty rough down the uh, the stretch there. So any any hopes they had of uh, um, you know trying to make a run at a playoff kind of all evaporated with that uh, that last five game stretch there
1: so we get to the offseason and uh the big move uh for the commanders uh, after failing to get their hands on Stafford in 2021 and settling for Ryan Fitzpatrick not a bad settle not as bad as what the bears did uh which was we we had this 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 awesome flirtation with Russell Wilson and then signed Andy Dalton uh, yeah, it's like yeah. oh boy so right off the heels of hearing that that deal it wasn't going to happen we signed Andy Dalton and the social media team for the bears posts qb1 with Dalton in a bear uniform like oh, oh boy yeah that that happened that yeah, actually happened imagine. yeah i can um, only imagine that yeah and and no excitement around that move no excitement around the team period until draft day when we traded up for Justin Fields then it was like oh this might be fun and uh, it, it wasn't. It really. wasn't. I, I got to me. tell
0: you, I I am a big Justin Fields fan. I watched him at Georgia uh, to Ohio State. I think uh, he's an excellent player. And honestly, I know you're gonna you're gonna talk about our quarterback here in a second. Sure. Um, going into this offseason, I was like, give the Bears three uh, first round picks because I'll take Justin uh, Fields. Uh, I know you guys had a new coach, new GM, right? You know, coming in, I was like, you know, they don't want to be tied to to somebody else, like. Come on, give, give him to us because uh, we had considered the year prior um, trying to move up to get Justin Fields, but Rivera thought the asking price was too much, so he did not make the move, and, um, uh, you know, you guys did, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I i was I, I'm all in on Justin Fields. I think he's going to have a sneaky good year uh, this year for you guys.
1: You know, it's, it's encouraging because this is the ninth uh, of these opponent <laughs> previews that I've done so far and i say at least seven of my guests have told me how much they like Justin Fields. And Trust me, I've been doing these shows since 2015. That's never been a thing with the Chicago Bear quarterback before. So (laughs) hearing it like, man, I can't wait to see what he does year two. I can't, you know, I like Justin Fields, a huge fan in college. You know, there's a conversation that doesn't happen uh, to a Bears fan. It it doesn't. So it's been really encouraging to hear that uh, from people who aren't Bear fans. Um, but like, Absolutely. yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to playing the Bears so I can see him, uh, you know, either in person or up close and watch him for a game and things like that. So it's uh, exactly. really encouraging, and, and I hope that this this new offensive coordinator of ours uh, is is better than Nagy. I mean, it would be hard not to be, but uh, <laughs> I'm hoping that he is, so we can really do something special uh, yeah. with this kid.
0: Uh, no, I, I think he's going to have a good year. Hopefully he has a good year, except when we play them. But, uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm really rooting that's, for him to, uh, to do well.
1: That's the other sentiment that gets shared with me. Like, I can't <laughs> yeah. wait to see him play, but I hope he dies like a dog when he plays us. But right, exactly. otherwise, I hope he has a great 16-game schedule, aside from the 17th where he's playing us. So yeah, uh, that's the other sentiment I keep getting uh, yeah. with that. But when it comes down to it, uh, the Commanders trade. Uh, they swap second-rounders. They trade a 2022 third round pick and a conditional third in 2023 to take Carson Wentz off of the Colts hands. Now, is this something I mean, were you were you happy about this when it happened? Is it something you've warmed up to or at, you know, or as it has been in my situation with the Bears from time to time, something you just ended up accepting over time?
0: Yeah, I think it may be uh, that I'm accepting it over time. But uh, so initially they made the trade. I was not happy. You know, for me, my kind of philosophy and the way I see, you know, kind of building a football team – if you look at most of these teams who have long-term uh, success, they draft a rookie quarterback, they develop him, they build around him, and you know they win for you know eight to ten years or five to six years, you know whatever the case uh, may be. You know very rarely do you get the oh hey Tom Brady's going to sign with the Bucks in free agency or Peyton Manning's going to go to the Broncos and you you get a Super Bowl or or two out of it. You know that's that's really rare. So. Uh, I really wanted them to focus on the draft, draft a quarterback, build around them, do it the right way, and uh, you know, build a team that can be competitive year in, year out, as opposed to go on the stopgap route of, hey, let's get a retread quarterback, uh, retread veteran, a journeyman, and doing it that way. So I wasn't necessarily uh excited about the the Wentz trade when it first happened. But, you know, sitting back, looking at it, realizing Carson Wentz is an absolute upgrade over Taylor Heineke. There's sure, just no sure. no two ways about it. Carson Wentz is a legitimate starting quarterback in the NFL. Now, we can certainly have the discussion of where you want to rank him. Is he in the middle? Is he closer to the bottom? Sure, that, that's all fair and uh, up for discussion, but... He is absolutely better than anybody that we had on the roster. Um, and he does possess a big arm. He is pretty athletic, can escape pressure. And that those are things that we, you know, we really didn't have in this offense. I mean, Heineke's arm was very limited. I mean, there, you, know, you mentioned that Terry McLaurin catch in that first game, but that was really kind of a microcosm of our offense. Terry ran his full route. He was actually open. He had to stop and come back and contort his body to make that crazy catch against Uh, the Chargers, but it was only because Taylor Heineke's arm was pretty weak, and he was often late on his throws. So, you know, we needed somebody who could kind of take that offense to the next level and, uh, you know, hopefully potentially take some of the pressure off the defense having to be out there so much. And I think those are some things uh, that Carson Wentz can do. Is he a cure-all? Is he a fix-all? No, absolutely not. I don't believe he's, uh, you know, that player that we saw in 2017 where he can essentially kind of carry a team. He can make up for other flaws in your team. I don't think he's there Um he certainly can uh, win you a couple games here or there, but he's not a guy that you can go out there and say, "Okay, let's just put it on his shoulders, f- you know, throw it 50 times every game, and uh, he'll he'll lead us uh, to the promised land." Uh, you know, we we definitely got to put weapons around him. The defense really needs to improve. But certainly, uh, you know, he is a a better option than what we've had. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I've warmed up to it. Um, You know, I think some people, you know, some in the fan base think he, uh, you know, is going to be a, you know, a cure all and uh, lead us uh, to uh, NFC championship. I hope that would be so great. But uh, I think, uh, you know, at the very least, he'll give us a much better chance to compete week in, week out.
1: Yeah, looking at it glass half full, it's definitely an upgrade from what you had last year, especially after Fitzpatrick uh, went down. Yeah. Um, The potential for him to, I mean, he's still a younger guy, so the potential for him to return to 2017 form is there. Um, And just having the right weapons around him. You know, McLaurin, you know, your new first-round pick, and and Dotson definitely helping uh, in that in that regard, and then if the defense can help level things out on the on the other side, keep games close, then you got the the skeleton for a good team there, and the potential for for Wentz to probably be the catalyst to push this offense to heights that it couldn't reach in 2021.
0: No, absolutely, and I think uh, you know with our draft that we just had, you could definitely tell there was a concerted effort to give Carson Wentz weapons and to help the offense uh, a lot more you know previously we'd kind of been that defense focused I mentioned the four first round picks on that defensive line Uh, you know the first round pick was a wide receiver Um, you know the third round pick was a running back a fifth round pick was a tight end Um, so there were certainly efforts made to um, give Carson more options more weapons Um, that way he has the ability to, to utilize that big arm and that quick release that he has
1: so before we dive a little bit further into the draft there, the free agency period um, looked like it was more about letting guys go than it was about bringing guys <laughs> yeah. in. Um, yeah. you, you know, you sign Andrew Norwell away from Jacksonville. That turned out to be like more of a trade because Brandon Scherf goes to Jacksonville yeah. in free agency. You sign Andrew Norwell uh, in response. You sign Trey Turner, another guard away from the Steelers. You re-sign J.D. McKissick. Um, you re-sign Cornelius Lucas, which – all due respect, got a big laugh from Bear fans. That guy was a disaster uh, in Chicago. But I <laughs> guess it's kind of like him and Charles Leno. They found, you know, greener pastures in, in Washington that they yeah. couldn't find uh, in Chicago because that's worked out great uh, for you guys. But, uh, on, you know, Tim Settles off to Buffalo. Matthew Idonis is, is um, Nitus. He went to sorry. Carolina. Yeah, he went to Carolina. Yep. I, I mentioned uh, when we were talking before we started recording, Kyle Allen, your, your other backup, goes to Houston. And Ricky Seals Jones stays in division, goes to the Giants. So, I mean, was was there no cap sap, cap space to to make moves, or is Washington just not the destination it used to be as far as that goes?
0: Well, it, it's kind of a combination. So yeah. certainly the uh, it, it's not the destination that it used to be. But uh, more so, it's about the approach that Rivera... So Rivera here isn't just a head coach. He is head football decision-maker, uh, front office, um, and head coach. And he's chosen or opted to go with the kind of limited free agency um, approach. More heavily focused on the draft uh, and getting players that uh, he's comfortable with. So former Carolina Carolina Panthers players that he's coached uh, is kind of the trend that he's brought in here recently. And then also, too, the team is in the middle of a big contract negotiation with Terry McLaurin, which is going to cost a lot of money. So um, you know, we've had the reports here that the team has kind of been earmarking funds for that um, extension or contract. And uh, so I think a lot of it also has to do with that, right? Uh, The ability to kind of go out and sign a big name, um, you know, kind of limits them uh, with what they want to do in regards to that uh, Terry McLaurin contract. And also when they traded for um, Carson Wentz, that was a, uh, you know, quarterbacks make a lot of money and his cap number certainly Filled up a lot of space because you, you go from yeah. Fitzpatrick and Heineke to all of a sudden Carson Wentz salary uh, you know there's a there's a big difference in uh, those two salaries uh, right there so um, you know uh, it, it was a combination of things certainly we're not the destination that we we used to be uh, Rivera's approach of kind of uh, slow playing free agency just kind of focusing on homegrown talent uh, versus um, you know getting uh, spending a bunch of money in free agency and uh, Terry's contract certainly uh, kind of played into into that role uh but uh, yeah i think you, you mentioned it. the two smart ones that i um you know signings that i thought andrew norwell he is a starting guard a um, little bit older but he is a high level uh guard who can uh who's pretty durable and will give you 17 games trey turner same thing uh both those guys played under ron rivera in carolina both of them uh, played under our offensive line coach John Matsko, also in Carolina, um uh, both were former Pro Bowlers in the system. So I expect them, you know, to to come in and contribute right away. And you know, really, these past two years, we we thought the defensive line here in Washington would have been the strength. It's really been our offensive line. They have really uh, done wonders. They've opened up a lot of holes in the run game. They've kept some of these quarterbacks we've had, some of these mediocre quarterbacks we've had, you know, up off the mat um, you know, a lot and have performed very, very well. So yeah. Um, free agency, um, uh, not much to speak of, but certainly, uh, there were a couple of gems in there.
1: Yeah. How old are you by the way? 39 years old. So not really old. I mean, were, do you remember the 91 team? I do, I do remember
0: the the '91 team and one of my favorites know,
1: of all time, the '91 squad.
0: Well, I I think it's it's one of the better football teams. Uh, I mean, that team also had like four shutouts or something like that. I mean, yeah. they they were just an exceptional football team all the way around but something here uh in the dc area that you know all fans you know kind of relate to or kind of take pride in we've always had pretty good offensive lines we've had some really good hogs yeah yeah we've had some good offensive line coaches as well you know joe bugle then to bill callahan now to john matsko um and, and here recently john matsko has really um you know uh, you know, made uh, a lot of these guys, some of these lesser offensive linemen into really, you know, high-performing uh, unit. And they, they've really done a nice job uh, these past two seasons. So, uh, you know, for me, I'm a big offensive line uh, play person in general. So anybody, uh, any offensive lineman, I'm always going to talk about them more before I talk about a wide receiver.
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm a former old lineman myself. So, yeah, I've definitely got a sentimental attachment to the big guys up front um, uh, and everything. So, but yeah, I mean, like I said, 91 was, uh, right in my wheelhouse, I was 13 in 91. So that was a, oh, nice. yep. a pretty pivotal year in, in life. And, you know, 91 was a, was a fun year uh, in the NFL. That was the year the Falcons were doing, you know, had MC hammer on the sidelines yep. and they out of nowhere win the division and, uh, things like that. And then the Redskins are one of the more complete teams we've had in the last 30 years. Uh, yes. Or so, I mean, top to bottom defense was awesome. Mark Rippon was magic that year and throwing the football all over the place to Gary Clark and Art Monk and all those guys. And uh, it was just a really fun team. Uh, to watch and uh, 91 they beat the crap out of us um, <laughs> yeah. you know the Bears started that year 4-0 and and then we played the two Super Bowl teams back to back and got our asses handed to us it's like well yeah I think we've just been shown where we rank uh, <laughs> yeah. in this whole thing as we were you know kicking ass 4-0 and then we played the we played the Bills one week and then the Redskins right behind it and one loss was worse than the one before it so yeah. I was like oh boy and uh, you know Redskins 14-2 just went on a tear won the NFC title game like 56 to 10 or something yeah. crazy like that so yeah yeah
0: certainly certainly one of the more um you know uh, dominant teams that we've seen mm-hmm. and probably one of the more forgotten i think when uh, whenever anybody looks at Super Bowl champs they often get missed uh that 91 team but uh yeah, yeah they were they were very very dominant on both sides of the ball like you said
1: cuz it came on the heels of like after 91 then the Cowboys dynasty yeah, right on the heel Ninety-two, ninety-three, ninety-five. 95 those three Super Bowl wins in four years went a long way in kind of erasing the greatness of that 91 squad. So it was yeah, uh, unfortunate that it went down that way. So. All right, so we, we touched upon it before. Let's talk about the the draft. Um, so going into it was Dotson like a top choice as far as fans. I know that he was getting mocked to to Washington. Uh, Quite a bit, or at least a wide receiver was, because no one really knew what order those receivers were going to go in, yeah, uh, in in the draft, and uh, but you know, sixteen comes around. Here, here comes uh, the the. Redskins I still do it I, all the time <laughs> well like just like Sorry. I keep calling the charge San Diego I still say yeah. San Diego's when I refer oh, I, to the Chargers. I, I do
0: the, I do the San Diego one multiple times yeah so no,
1: no <laughs> so worries no worries it's been like five six years I still call them San Diego so <laughs> uh, but anyway believe. here comes yeah. Washington they're on the board you traded down right to get to 16
0: yeah, right. Yeah, so heading into the draft, really, you know, the the consensus was we need a weapon, right? We we need more offensive firepower besides Terry McLaurin, and we need to get Wentz, right? You know, hey, Wentz is going to be our quarterback, then go all in. Yet went another weapon. So wide receiver was pretty much every, you know, that had been the reporting that we were going to target. So everybody was kind of on the same page. Now, which guy was it going to be? Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, Drake London, USC, Chris Olave, another Ohio State guy. Those were kind of the three names kind of being mentioned um, to us. Now, by the time we got to our pick, those two guys were gone. Chris Olave was there, but the team uh, we didn't have, um, you know, any, we, we only had a few uh, draft picks in general. So they traded back so they could pick up an extra pick and they went with Jahan Dotson. Now really here locally, there hadn't been any kind of reporting about Jahan Dotson um, that the team uh, was, was really high on uh, him. They had like one meeting with him, but they had multiple meetings with the USC wide receiver and the Ohio state wide receiver. So, You know, the the thought was it was going to be one of those Ohio State guys or Drake London from USC. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it turned out to be neither of them. Uh, It turned out to be Jahan Dotson. But I I think, you know, it may have been a blessing in disguise, you know, where those guys, you know, I, I, I hear a lot of upside talk with those guys. Jahan Dotson's more of a complete ready to perform guy now. He is very polished in his route running, uh, and he has excellent hands, as we've seen, you know, over these OTAs and many camps. Obviously, you know, not not any pads, not any live uh, live fire just happening yet, but uh, it's been evident his route running and his hands and uh, kind of the timing and report he's he's started to get here with uh, with Wentz. So that's that's been great uh, to see. And then, um, you know, kind of a curveball. We get this uh, second-round pick that we picked up, um, you know, uh, by trading back, and we draft a defensive tackle, Fidarian Mathis from Alabama. To go with the other two Alabama defensive tackles we already have on the roster with Jonathan Allen and Deron Payne. Um, well, and a lot of it, you mentioned it earlier. You know, Tim Settle, we, we chose not to re sign him. He goes up to uh, Buffalo to play on that uh, really good defensive line. Matt Ioannidis, uh I think, moves on to Carolina. Um, so we, we all of a sudden went to having a lot of defensive tackles to, to just two. Um, so we got fight Mathis, who is more of a space eater. He's a guy who's going to hold his own in the run game. And, um, doesn't give you too much bio uh, pass rush, but uh, you know isn't going to be moved off of his spot. So he now comes in with the ability uh, to be a rotational DT, but he can also start as well too. Because again, they kind of focused on a um, little bit older guys, more juniors, more seniors, guys who had a lot of starts, a lot of playing experience. Um, you know, I think they're they're really trying to make this third year under Ron Rivera a successful year, a playoff year. And they want guys to hit the ground running. Um, you know, they don't want guys who are, hey, they may have uh, immense talent, but they may need two, three years to develop. They uh, kind of shied away from that, this particular draft. Um third round we end up going brian robinson jr uh another uh, alabama football player running back um mm-hmm. and he was actually kind of my favorite back um i had uh, i i had tweeted about him earlier in the year like in february i was like you know this may be a guy that the commanders take because uh you know, Ron Rivera is very much a creature of habit. And he's, you know, kind of trying to model this team after his 15-1 and team that he had in um, Carolina that went to the Super Bowl with Cam Newton. And uh, in that year, he had two running backs. He had D'Angelo Williams and he had Jonathan Stewart. Jonathan Stewart kind of was that in between the tackles pounder um, you know had really good vision and uh, that's kind of what I saw in Brian Robinson the running back from Alabama and uh, you know in you know lo and behold after we draft him Ron Rivera makes that same kind of um, you know comparison between him and Jonathan Stewart and uh, uh, his Carolina days as well too so I think they're gonna use him between the tackles Gibson will be out in space more uh, maybe catch some more passes screen passes those types of things where he can use that explosiveness he has uh, a little bit more as opposed to between the tackles and let brian robinson do that and then from there you know we we continued to get some guys percy butler um free safety from uh, louisiana cole turner tight end nevada Uh, we got a guard chris paul uh from tulsa and then uh, a defensive back uh christian holmes from oklahoma state who actually um has a you know good uh, you know, chance to stick on the team and play a lot. Uh, our secondary is pretty thin right now. We've got a couple of guys, but uh, and in terms of cornerback, we really have the two starters, and then uh, it's kind of wide open from there. So um, I know he's a uh, he's turned some heads uh, with his play in the slot here over the uh, the mini camp and OTAs uh, here recently. But uh, yeah, big focus for the draft for Rivera and his team were um, some older players, guys who are uh, you know may not. Not necessarily have a high upside but they've got a um a very uh high floor uh who uh are ready to play and compete now and contribute now uh really kind of was their focus
1: so sam Howe, will he be kind of like you know, i mean you alluded to the fact that they kind of st- tried to stay away from projects but you took a flyer on him in the fifth round and uh you know to the the quarterback from north carolina had a great college career and and in a not so great year for quarterbacks that you know, the, the the good ones started falling. And, you know, the you had yeah. Pickett go in the first round and then you didn't have another one until the third round they finally go. And then they start coming off the board in, like, the fourth, fifth uh, round. I mean, I, I would see that, you know, Howell with Wenson in tow, this could be the guy that could possibly replace him in three years. Is that the optimistic view?
0: Yeah. Um, so you know, I think you, you mentioned it. Um, you know, Sam Howell. You know, kind of at the beginning of the draft process, was one of the the, the top guys in the uh, the draft process. There was a time where he was, you know, considered, uh, you know, maybe the the number one quarterback prospect. And then through the process, some other guys rose. He kind of fell. Um, but he absolutely has, uh, you know, the the physical traits that you would need in a quarterback: the arm, the quick release, the mobility, all of those things. He has in the, you know, playing experience, right? He started three years at North Carolina, won a lot of games uh, for them starting, you know, from his freshman year. So, uh, you know, he he comes in with a lot of tools. And, you know, Rivera, you know, uh, was very careful to not draft a quarterback too close to Wentz, right? I don't think anybody wanted a repeat of uh, the Wentz-Jalen Hurts kind of saga or issues with Carson Wentz. You know, he wanted to make Carson feel, hey, you're the guy. You know, we, we need to get another quarterback. On the roster, but uh, you know it's uh, it's your show, nobody else's. So. Uh, the fact that he fell to the fifth round was, you know, was definitely surprising to uh, me, uh, and I'm sure to other Washington fans. But yeah, I think uh, you know he is certainly a guy who has all the tools and can be that, uh, you know, whether it's a long term backup uh, or if he, you know, if we all think that he can develop into a long term starter. Because uh, Heineke, uh, this is his last year on his deal, and uh, I imagine, you know, that we just drafted how. That Howell would kind of fill that Heineke role moving forward past this year. I don't uh, foresee them re-signing Heineke, unless um, you know something crazy kind of happens. But um, we—it's funny on, on our podcast we had actually interviewed Sam Howell's uh, offensive coordinator in February of this year, um, offensive coordinator coach uh, Phil Longo, and he. Uh, you know, kind of painted us a uh, a picture of Sam that, uh, you know, I was like, well, this guy's got to go, uh, you know, first round, second round. And uh, it was very, very amazing or very kind of shocking that uh, he fell as far as he did.
1: Yeah, I think that was the case with a lot of these uh, quarterbacks. Like, when you know, the first one didn't come off the board until 20 when there was, there was talk that, you know, um, who was picking at two. Somebody might take Malik Willis at number two. Uh, overall, and he didn't go until late in the third round, yeah, uh, when Tennessee finally uh snatched him up. I mean, I, I knew it wasn't the best year for quarterbacks, and everyone was just wondering if somebody was gonna get desperate and take one high because they needed one and you know you, you saw a lot of uh cool resolve from teams uh this year as far as like going and getting their quarterback, and we need one, so we gotta go get one. let's pay a fortune. Uh, For this guy, when we can probably get him in the third round, fourth round, or whatever, everybody played it cool. And and, uh, these quarterbacks started falling. And uh, it was like one of the big stories of the draft is like, we know it wasn't, you know, like 2021, where five guys went in the first 15 picks. But, you know, you don't usually see the quarterbacks wait until the third round to start coming off the board.
0: Yeah it was very odd but uh, you know I you know I had been you know thinking about that and you know I think it uh, this is you know kind of the NFL showing us how they view and evaluate quarterbacks versus like you know the media scouts or the social media uh, scouts and how they view quarterbacks because right if you if you watch any of the media coverage malik willis uh was uh, was and should have been the number one overall pick and it was almost a consensus and uh the nfl very clearly told you no that he is not a number one overall pick and that he was you know just barely a third rounder is kind of how they viewed him now will that turn out to be right you know who knows uh, malik wills could turn out to be a, a hall of fame player but it's just uh, just that kind of difference in how the the you know the media views you know scouting these players versus how the NFL uh, actually you know scouted these players uh, you know, it was interesting to me
1: yeah i mean that's that's something that i found uh interesting uh over the last 10 years or so if not more about how the running back position uh, is treated in the draft uh, these days. You know, you don't see too many more, uh, you know, like, you know, we're pretty close in age growing up. We saw a lot of guys, Kajana Carter and and guys like that drafted, number one overall, number five overall. You know, yeah, 2005, the Bears took Cedric Benson at number four. And, you know, what a disaster that turned out to be. But, (laughs) you know, but that was something that you saw all the time if, if, you had this dynamic running back in college. Then he was going to be a first-round pick and probably a high uh, first-round pick. The yep. position itself hasn't been devalued. It's still a very important aspect of the NFL game. But I think NFL GMs and and scouting departments have all realized you can find super talented guys day two, day three, and you know you can come in and, and get this guy on the cheap for four years and then you move on to the next one and and the Bears that's something that served the Bears very well I mean our our current running back's a late third round pick the running back before him was a fifth rounder Tariq Cohen was a fourth rounder you know and things like that that's something that you see the position itself isn't devalued but how much you're willing to go and pay for it in the draft has been devalued significantly.
0: Yeah, I, no, I think you nailed it right there. Uh, it, it, you have to have a good running back. You have to have a versatile running back, and you you have to have probably a couple of them, right? You got to, two, maybe you know, most likely three of them. On your roster, it's just a matter of you know the the need versus uh, you know what else you have on the team, and I think really the the need of having a great quarterback skyrocketed so much that um, you know it pushed the value of uh, you know some of these other players down, in particular that uh, that running back uh, position. But uh, yeah, um, you're exactly right. You you need productive guys at the running back spot, and I think uh, you, you said third round for a couple of your guys. We've got a couple of guys who are third round: Antonio Gibson, Brian. Robinson Jr., who we just got now. I mean, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think you see teams that's kind of their sweet spot, right? That third, fourth round to get really, really productive running backs.
1: Yeah, and we just drafted a guy last year in the sixth round, Khalil Herbert, that was uh, uh, he, a solid starter Virginia for Tech. us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: He, he was a guy I actually wanted us to draft uh that year as well. I was like, man, he's really good. And then I saw, I want to say it was, uh, I, I I don't remember what game it was last year, but he had like a hundred yards rushing, and I yeah. was like.
1: I knew it. I knew I knew the command. He had a 100-yard game uh, against the Packers.
2: Yes. That that's was like his was, his
1: first was, game starting. And, yeah. you know, he had 100 yards rushing against Green Bay. It's like, I think we got something on our hands. Yeah, here. exactly. I so, saw that and
0: I was like, I knew it. We should have gotten him. So that was yeah. a – I mean, that's a great pickup by you guys right there.
1: So, yeah, one 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 last gift from Ryan Pace on his way out as general manager. <laughs> so we move on to 2022. Let's take a look at the – schedule here and at first glance you do not have five straight division games to close out the year so that's got to be a good thing
0: yeah thankfully that uh you know the schedule so we played i want to say it was like either the the first or it was certainly top five hardest schedule last year i mean the quarterbacks that we faced uh i mean they were all top level quarterbacks uh and they they beat us up pretty bad uh, last season, so I think we've got one of the easier schedules this year, uh, and no no five game division game gauntlet to, yeah. to end the to end the season. So hopefully, with Carson Wentz coming in here, some um, you know some additional excitement, some more weapons, you know maybe we can take advantage of a uh, a little bit softer schedule and um, you know start the season out on a winning note and uh, you know kind of go from there.
1: Yeah, and, and the schedule is a bit more favorable for you guys this year. NFC North, AFC South, not two of the strongest divisions that we have uh, in the league uh, right now, unfortunately. I mean, it's it's top-heavy. Yeah. You know, Tennessee in, in the south, you got Green Bay in the north, and then six decent winnable games after that for pretty much anybody. Um, you start with Jacksonville at home, you're on the road at Detroit, and then back-to-back division games, so that automatically eliminates a five-game Uh, gauntlet at the end of the year with Philly at home Dallas on the road to start the first four games then you're home for Tennessee and then on the road on Thursday night you come to Soldier Field and play the Bears
0: absolutely absolutely I think uh, that'll be a very very big game to see how Carson does um in a prime time game for the commanders um the commanders haven't been uh very good in prime time recently we've been better with ron rivera um you know 2020 and 2021 um but you know the before, prior to that we've been awful uh in prime time games so hopefully uh with carson some additional weapons uh you know we can put up a good showing against you guys uh that thursday night
1: then we're home for Green Bay at Indianapolis, home for Minnesota at Philly on Monday night. So it looks like schedule-wise, the the league is, is spreading out the division games uh, all the way across the... Uh, Schedule as opposed to lumping them at the end like yeah. they did last year. So uh,
0: I, I, I think they, uh, they, they may have learned from uh, previous year and taken a look at kind of how that ended up and uh, said to themselves, okay, maybe uh, we can, uh, we can do a little bit better uh, scheduling and spread these games out and not just throw them in at the end. Yeah, uh, yeah. So uh, yeah, much better schedule, much, um, you know, it, you know, for for. For what it is, it's a little bit easier than last year's schedule. So hopefully that uh, that plays well for the Commanders and they're able to uh, to put a little bit better performance out there.
1: Yeah, and, and of course the the thing that I always like to mention is that we're we're looking through this, looking at this through the lens of the 2021 season. Like based on last year, this looks like to be one of the more a more balanced schedules for you guys as far as spreading out your division games instead of literally having them all at once. And and also, you know, like I said, the AFC South, the NFC North, top-heavy divisions, winnable games uh, on the back end. And then in the NFC East, the carousel that you guys have in that division, you take turns winning it. Nobody wins it two years in a row. You never know. Somebody could catch heat, and the next thing you know, it's the commander's division again. Or maybe this year it'll be the Eagles or the Giants come from out of nowhere. I mean, it happens every single year in the East. It's not like the NFC North where it's the Packers and then maybe once in a while the Bears or the Vikings uh, will win it, you know, on on a lark kind of thing. It's uh, it's very much a a carousel that takes place in the NFC East. So it's anybody's division pretty much year in and year out.
0: Yeah, I believe it's like the last 17 years or something like that I saw – um, it, it, it's been a different, um, you know, NFC East champion. So, yeah, nothing is guaranteed. As well as the Cowboys did last year, it's not guaranteed that they'll uh, win the the division uh, this year. The Eagles are certainly making a big push. Obviously, we, the Commanders, are uh, doing the same as well. And then, you know, the the Giants, for however um, you know rough a season they had, uh, could easily bounce back with some of the draft picks that they uh, they made here and maybe a uh, a big year. Out of Daniel Jones. So, yeah, uh, things are that uh, uh, things uh, can can go any direction in the NFC East.
1: One little scheduling quirk with the NFL threw you guys a nice little uh, curveball was the essentially back-to-back games with the Giants uh, that you have because you have a week 13, you're at the Giants. Week 14, you're on a bye, just like uh, the Bears also have the late week 14 bye. And then you come right back at home against the Giants again. So you got the Giants, a bye, and then the Giants uh, again. Um, just to, just to make things interesting, I guess. And to give you those back-to-back, uh, divisional games that I know that you commanders fans are yearning for after the way last year finished out. <laughs>
0: yeah, absolutely. And especially, you know, we, we, we did pretty well against the giants last year. So, so hopefully that continues, but yeah, it is a little odd to, uh, to have the giants, uh, um and then have a bye and then have the giants again but uh you know i i think from the commander standpoint right we we'll, we have that bye and then the giants have to come to fedex field mm-hmm. uh that that first giants matchup, we go to new york so we'll be rested before we have to go cross country and play the uh the 49ers, 49ers so yeah. <laughs> You know, typically those cross-country trips don't do well for the traveling uh, team. So hopefully that uh, helps us out. That we'll uh, we'll have been at home the past uh, the prior two weeks, and that uh, in preparation for that um, San Fran game.
1: And then to finish out your home, you got back-to-back home games: home for Cleveland, home for uh, Dallas to uh, to close out the year. It's it's um, I-, I like this schedule. For you guys, as opposed yeah. to the nightmare that I just saw in 2021, <laughs> I did not know that that was happening in 2021. I'm sure I would have mentioned that, uh, had I seen that, but you know, five division games in a row to finish yeah. out. I mean, I, as a bear fan, I'd have been pissed if it was green Bay, Minnesota, green Bay, Minnesota. And then we finished with Detroit. I'm like, what the hell is this? Yeah. You know, it's was like, seriously, what are we trying to do here?
0: Yeah, I mean there had been seasons where there was like three division games, you know, to end the the year, but um five the way they had it set up there. I mean, when when we looked at it it was just kind of like is this is this a mistake? Did they, you know, how 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 did they uh, come to that conclusion? But um, yeah, I, I, I'm glad to see they corrected that this year. We've got a, a little bit more even schedule in terms of uh, where some of these are, or when we play some of these teams. Uh, but yeah, to end the year against Cleveland, uh, you know, is Deshaun going to play? We don't know yet. And then Dallas, Dallas is a rivalry game for us, so that'll always be a a big week here uh, in the DMV.
1: You know, as, as, as much as, you know, a ch- I, a child of the 80s, would, would love to see the Browns return to the form that I grew up watching them in, those two classic AFC championship games they had with the Broncos there yep. uh, in the 80s, um, I hope Deshaun Watson doesn't ever play a down of football for them. Yeah. You know, I, I really cool. hope they have to eat that trade like the dummies that they were for, uh, for making that trade and uh, before any of this was resolved. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, it's disgusting what he's alleged to have done. And, you know, when, with all those people, uh, women, I should say coming out of the woodwork, some of it is true. You yeah. Know, some nah, of it, it's, it you know, would be guilty with all of them, but it, he's definitely racked up a few, that's for sure
0: yeah it uh with with each story the more heinous than the next it is uh you know just kind of you have to sit back and say browns what were you what were you doing you know you, you couldn't let the process play out then make a determination you had to to go and make this move fully guaranteed 230 million dollars you know before just anything just, you know so
1: just it, well here's the thing with deshaun watson and we're kind of you know getting off the trail here but we're with Watson, number one, I was I was not surprised that somebody would trade for him. I was floored that uh, Casario, the GM for Houston, got the asking price that he basically stuck to the whole time. Yeah. Like I cannot yeah. believe somebody came to the table with three first rounders and you know, and the the slew of second day second and third day picks that they ended up giving up for him. And then of course you, you mortgage your salary cap future. By giving him $46 million a year guaranteed uh, on top of it. Like, I just I well, was I can, absolutely I, just floored that whole thing went down the way it did.
0: Uh, I, I can tell you, I wasn't even so much surprised that the the Texans got what they were asking for, like that that high of an asking price, because you know uh, the Commanders here, we just traded for Carson Wentz, and there was nobody actually trading for Carson Wentz. There was nobody else in on that market, as some of the reporting has told us. Uh, so much so that the the you know the owner of the Colts, you know, was not really happy with Carson, and they were really kind of seconds away from just flat out releasing him, you right. know, so we essentially bid against ourselves. So, you know, uh, there's always going to be a desperate NFL team who says, you know what, take all of these draft picks, take all these players, you know, whatever, you know, to, to, to satisfy, you know, their quest for a quarterback. So, uh, not surprised that, uh, uh you know, a, a big price tag was given up and paid to for a, uh, for a quarterback.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, <sighs> I get that that's the asking price for a franchise quarterback, especially one who's still got the prime of his career ahead of him uh, and everything, but his particular situation. I mean, not only did they give up a King's ransom worth of picks, they also signed him to an unprecedented contract uh, on top of it. And, you know, if there's any justice in this world, he probably won't play for the first two years of it, you know, kind of thing. So. Absolutely, um, I, I would uh, I would not be upset if that's what ended up happening to the Browns. Like I said, I'm I'm one of those guys that I you know I root for the underdog, and I would love to see the Browns be the Browns that I grew up watching again someday. But they get what they deserve, and however this thing turns out, so yeah,
0: no, we'll we'll, we'll see here in the coming days how that uh, that ends up uh, for the for those guys.
1: So back to your squad, uh, who did not trade for a uh, <laughs> less than reputable guy, um, yeah. And uh, you know what? What do you what are you looking at? Because like we just mentioned before, you know the the carousel that happens with the teams that win the division uh, in the East, you have a a, a more manageable schedule uh, than before. Not only in the fact that they didn't lump you with five division games at the end of it, you know the five most important games you got, you put them at the end of the season there, so there's no margin for error. But you also have you know winnable games in your in the divisions that you end up playing this year what what are you looking at as far as um you know your your range uh, wins losses for the for the squad this year
0: yeah so uh this is year 3 um under Ron Rivera here and you know he's come in here and said uh you know hey it takes 5 years to turn around a culture and and that may have been true you know 10 years ago but we've seen rebuilds happen much faster much quicker in the NFL um You know, right in front of our eyes, right? It doesn't take five years for a team to, uh, to, to, to be a consistent winner. Um, so Ron needs to win now. We, we were seven and 20 or excuse me, seven and nine in his uh, first year in 2020. We were seven, 10, uh, last year in 2021. Um, Seven wins—that—that's just not good enough. The—the uh, the talent is there. Is it talent that uh, can get you an NFC Championship game, Super Bowl? No. You know we're we're, we're still away from that, but. We should have a winning record, you know, uh, being able to be above 500, uh, you know, win the division, um, maybe potentially win a playoff game. Those aren't unreasonable expectations for this team and for the quarterback that we do have in place now, which is Carson Wentz. Like he's capable of that. So for me, you know, anything from, you know, nine to 11 wins is where we should be, um, you know, knowing some of the crazy things that happens with our team, you know, we, we may be seven and ten again. Um, mm-hmm. so you know, on the uh, on on the floor of it, you know, we're we're probably on that seven and ten. Um, uh, if things kind of break our way, you know, nine, ten, eleven wins, I I think is very reasonable for this team, um, because essentially, you know, the I think we just we talked about it this whole time here. Uh, you know, this NFC East is uh, very up and down and changes rapidly. So there's nothing. There's no one team that uh, you know. Oh, we, we we can't compete against.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and that's kind of like the real wild card uh, in this whole thing. You know, you we, we look at the schedule and, and how it turns out, the games that you that, you know the opponent that you have. You don't have the toughest schedule in the NFL like you did. Uh, a year ago and, and things like that. And then the fact that, you know, every year somebody new in that division just seems to turn it on. I think it was like yeah. the the Eagles in 03 and 04 that were the last team to, yeah. to win back-to-back divisions uh, in the NFC East. So, I mean, it's been a long time since somebody did it twice in a row. And, you know, maybe the Cowboys are in a spot to do it again this year, but also at the same time, nobody would be surprised if it didn't go down that way.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, you're right. It's those Andy Reed, uh, Eagles, uh, back, uh, back a while ago that, uh, were the last to do it. So could it be, uh, Dallas are they're, they're certainly in a good position, right. Coming off a 12 win season, but, uh, we've seen them come off 12 win seasons with eight and eight seasons. Yeah, um, yeah. so, um, it, it certainly, uh, is anybody's game here in this uh, particular division. And, uh, you know, the commanders, uh, you know, myself included are hoping that, uh, that it's our turn.
1: Amen to that. So, um, well, Brian, I, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, this uh, helping. Thank you for helping us out uh, with previewing no, these uh, uh, Redskins football team, Commanders team, whatever you guys are. Well, you know that's what we'll call you when we play uh, <laughs> week number uh, six. Uh, we look forward to having you back on to preview uh, the matchup uh, when we get ready for that week six Thursday nighter. And uh, where can we keep up with you uh, in the meantime? Yeah, so
0: you can catch me on Twitter at. Mr. Who with two O's, one, and then our podcast is Commander's Declassified Podcast. Uh, we're available on all the audio platforms. Um, our YouTube channel is uh, Washington Football Team Declassified Podcast. Uh, we have a website too, where we put up articles um, and different interviews that we do throughout the year as well, too. So, uh, nope. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you for uh, having me on uh, your show. And uh, you know, I I really do hope that um, Justin Fields has a big year. Hopefully, you guys get another receiver or have somebody uh, who. Uh, who can help him
1: out yeah i i um i hope so too i think 2023 will be the year for that to happen because ryan pace left the cupboard pretty bare going into ah, the off season. We're, we're we're light on cap space and we only had five draft picks uh going into the into the off season. somehow ryan poles turned that into 11 picks. oh wow uh yeah wow. did some finagling with the with day three and and uh ended up with like Eight picks on day three. which, oh, that's, like, that's How the hell did he do that? But yeah, uh, he managed that. So we ended up uh, with quantity, and hopefully we get some quality uh, out of that. But uh, we've also got a full slate of picks, and depending on who you talk to, anywhere from from eighty to one hundred twenty million in cap space uh, <laughs> next season. So oh well, wow, uh, yeah. So if uh, if DK Metcalf is still disgruntled uh, at the end of the year, and uh, the Seahawks haven't traded him someplace. Maybe we can bring him back home to Chicago because his dad played for the Bears and that's where he was born.
0: So, oh, well, then that uh, that looks like a perfect uh, matchup right there, if I yeah. see it.
1: So, and uh, hopefully the uh, the Commanders, for your sake, won't get crazy and and frustrated with McLaren and trade him away.
0: No, if if that happens, there there they're, uh, they're, they're going to be a lot of upset people here in yeah. Washington. It'd be blood so, in the uh, streets. <laughs> Oh, it, it, it would. I mean, he is a favorite here. Him, Jonathan Allen, Chase, those guys are favorites here. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, R- Rivera said he's not trading him, so hopefully that uh, that uh, is still true.
1: Right. Well, Brian, thanks again uh, for for coming back on. We look forward to uh, talking to you prior to uh, week six and what will be a tight week for us both, wrapping up this, the week before and getting ready for the week ahead. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, man. Take care. <laughs> As always, I want to thank my guest, uh, Brian slash Mr. Who, for joining us on the show. Look forward to talking to him. That'll be an interesting week for us because, you know, we have that Thursday night game against the Commanders, and that's where you try to put a week's worth of shows into the three days between Sunday and Thursday uh, to, uh, you know, to get ready and everything. So uh, look forward to uh, having him back on and uh, the um, – the the struggle that it will be, that's going to be a busy week uh, for us. But uh, I had a really fun time talking to him. Look forward to having him back on. And, um, you know, the interest I'm just so interested to see how the NFC is going to unfold just because it never unfolds the same way two years uh, in a row, or at least it hasn't. I'm sure that with all this talk about how it hasn't changed, that this will be the year that the Cowboys repeat finally. But uh, we'll have to wait and see uh, on that. So, now we close the book on the Commanders and now we head out to Philly, talk about the Eagles on our next episode, and we're gonna have an old friend Brandon Lee Gouton from Bleeding Green Nation and BGN Radio uh coming in to help us preview uh the 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 twenty twenty two Eagles and talk about the you know, them kind of being the Redskins of twenty twenty one where they got off to a slow start, like a two and six, two, two and five start or whatever it was. They had the late push at the end of the season and they ended up Making it to the uh, making it to the playoffs uh, and everything they got boosted early by the uh, Buccaneers, but the fact that they made the playoffs after starting two and four, two and five, under a first year head coach was an accomplishment all into itself. And they made some big moves uh, during the offseason and uh, are looking to maybe be that team that is the champion of the NFC East this time with all the all of the uh, you know musical chairs they have with division winners out there in the NFC East. So. Be sure to tune in uh, to that on Tuesday when Brandon and I will preview the 2022 Philadelphia Eagles. And until then, my name is Larry D. And this has been the Bears Talk Underground. Hey man, hey, that was back
2: then...
0: Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader.